I believe that the ability to communicate well has become the number one most sought after soft skill of our time. And not just in the workplace, but in our personal lives as well. We all want to be more engaging, more charismatic and authentic in front of an audience and in one-on-one conversation. Bottom line, we want to shine. And that's where I come in. I have coached hundreds of clients, helping them to shine in high-pressure situations, whether on camera for CNN or CNBC, The Oprah Show, or for the TED stage, or sometimes even just helping clients navigate a tough conversation. But now, I want to offer you everything I know about communicating well. And for the next 20 minutes, give or take, I will give you high-voltage, practical, and highly irreverent advice to help you dismantle the communication habits that are holding you back while giving you the skills you need to shine. But enough with the preamble. Let's dive in. Welcome to the very first episode of 20 Minutes with Bronwyn. I am so grateful that you decided to stop and check in and see what's going on here. It's going to be good, I think. I'm happy you're here. And I wanted to start off this podcast, this session, in talking about a piece of advice that I am sure you've gotten before, just before you're about to do something that frightened you or made you nervous. And that piece of advice is this, just be yourself. The problem with this advice is that it's true, yet completely without any practical meaning. When somebody says, just be yourself, It makes you wonder, what self are we talking about here? I mean, just think about you for a minute. I'm guessing you play a lot of roles in your life, right? You're somebody's son or daughter. You play a role in your career. You're a mother. You're a father. You're a caregiver. There are layers and layers of self at play in any given moment on any given day. And your communication style changes depending on which self is operating. So which self is the real you? It's complicated far more complicated than the advice just be yourself would imply. And that's why being on the receiving end of it is such a pain in the rear end and so completely annoying. So to me as a communication coach, which self am I trying to access as I guide people to help them shine? And really, there are two versions of the self that I think are relevant right now in this conversation about communicating well. And that is big you and little you. And I first heard those terms. I did not invent those terms. I believe the first person I heard ever say those terms was Eckhart Tolle. And according to Eckhart Tolle, little you is that voice of the nervous, stressed out little ego, right? Little you is always scanning the horizon, trying to figure out who to compare itself to. And when you feel slighted by someone, it's little you that notices the slight. Or when you feel really afraid of a hard conversation, it's little you that is running nightmare scenarios on a continuous loop. And when little you is in charge, you might get by, but just barely. Little you keeps you in a perpetual state of anxiety and exhaustion because its default setting is fear. If little you had a slogan, it would be some variation of something terrible is about to happen. (laughs) Literally. Big you, on the other hand, is that voice of an inner state of wholeness and enoughness. Big you is capable of just about anything. 
And when Big U is running the show, your life just gets bigger and richer and deeper because Big U isn't worried. Big U is ready to just stand and deliver. Now, ironically, Big U, while it does all these wonderful things, it also puts you in positions that scare the crap out of little you. And if Big U is allowed to drive, you amaze yourself with what you can do. If little you's default setting is fear, big you's default setting is love. And if big you had a slogan, it would be something like, you are enough. And in the end, everything's going to be okay. That's the mantra that runs through big you. And as far as I'm concerned, as your coach, big you is really your only source of authentic power. Big U is how dreams get achieved, tables get turned, the impossible becomes possible. I know it's a big claim, but I make this claim not just because it's true for me and my experience, but it's also how I help clients to do things that scare the living daylights out of them, like give a TED Talk, talk to Oprah, be a judge on American Idol, deliver terrible news to an angry board of directors. I've seen the fruits of allowing big you to take over. And I've seen the fruits of allowing little you. And let me tell you what, it's not even close. I have dedicated my life to helping people communicate from this place of big you. And what I've learned is that the way we communicate is the way we live. If we are tentative about how and when and where we use our voices, we are tentative about how and where and when we reveal our talents and take those big, important risks that lead us closer to our dreams. It's why I take this work so freaking seriously. Communicating with authenticity and courage and a sense of humor allows us and causes us, I believe, to live with authenticity, courage, and humor. But this whole let big you lead thing is much easier said than done, of course, because the voice of big you, it turns out, is really hard to hear. Little you is scared and anxious and as a result, loud as hell. Big you can only take the lead if you understand how to create the ideal conditions for it to emerge, right? Little you emerges when you feel afraid of, say, a home intrusion or a scary conversation. Scale doesn't matter with little you. Little you places all threats at DEFCON 2000, right? Everything looks like life and death. But here's the trick, you guys. Big you comes forward when you feel safe. And when you feel safe and at ease, Big U shines through with all of its radiance and authenticity. And what this means is that for you to shine, you have to know how to create a sense of safety inside of yourself, even when, especially when, the world around you feels anything but safe. This is where our work together begins. I want to teach you in this podcast, in these series of conversations, how to feel safe no matter what, so you can shine anytime, anywhere. So here's the thing. While Big U isn't trying to put your life or physical safety at risk, unless you've always wanted to be like a deep water diver or an astronaut or something, Big U isn't trying to kill you, okay? Big U is, however, really, really interested in pushing you into situations that test you and help you hone your talents and guide you toward this big life you know you want to live. 
But more often than not, these situations Big U is pushing you into are uncomfortable and they're nerve wracking. But that's the contract. Big U leads you towards your best life, but it asks you to do what scares the shit out of you. By the way, I should probably mention that I swear. And if that troubles you, I'm so sorry. And if it doesn't trouble you, fuck yeah. Anyway, little you on the other hand. So if Big U is asking you to do what scares you, and that's the contract, little you demands almost nothing of you. Little you makes almost no demands at all, but it leads you to tragic life half lived end states. You know what I'm saying? Little you's sense of safety is really tethered to external circumstances being perfectly steady, zero turbulence. That's why little you loves binge watching television shows while drinking a nice buttery Chardonnay and popping bonbons, right? It's smooth sailing. But outside of that, shit happens. Nothing goes as planned. Little you hates that. But big you's version of safety is when your inner world is steady. And that inner steady world is characterized by a fundamental belief in your own worthiness, your own right to exist and express yourself. When you believe in that enoughness, you access the power reserves that allow you to feel safe no matter what. And believing in your own enoughness can sound like a tall order if it's something you struggle with. But here's the thing. We all freaking struggle with feeling enough. I struggle with it every day of my life. But everything I have learned as a coach, as a mother, as a meditator, as a participant in cognitive behavioral therapy, everything I've learned has led me to one powerful technique for changing beliefs around enoughness and around anything for that matter. And that is that changing our beliefs begins by changing our thoughts because thoughts make us feel things. And what we feel affects our behavior. So changing behavior truly begins with changing our thoughts. And I believe our lives are the sum total of our behaviors, which ultimately means that our thoughts become our destiny. Think about that. And also think about how what a runaway train your mind is, right? We are so injudicious about the thoughts we allow to hang out in our minds. And here's what I'm about to tell you. If you want to shine, you have to become ever so much more judicious about what you allow to cross your mind. So if we're talking about thought patterns, right? One of the worst things that I can tell you as a coach to allow is to allow what I call junk thoughts, right? Junk thoughts are thoughts that get in the way of big you. They make it impossible for you to hear the voice of big you because junk thoughts are basically fear thoughts. And I have actually found in my thousands and thousands of hours of coaching that there's really just five categories of junk thoughts. There's inferiority and superiority. There's us versus them thinking, scarcity thinking, and victimhood, number four. Number five is perfectionism. These five thought patterns, these junk thoughts, I will go into deeper as we go. But what I can tell you is that these thoughts have very real communication habits associated with them, all courtesy of little you. Habits like going mute. Have you ever lost your capacity to speak in a meeting because you sense either conflict or you feel inferior or whatever? 
Going mute is when you hold back. Muddled thinking. I see this all the time. Clients will come to me and say, oh my God, when it's my turn to speak, I can't formulate rational thoughts or basic sentence structures. Muddled thinking is a result of one or several of these junk thoughts or arrogance. Can't tell you how many CEOs I brought into coach because feedback is from their 360 degree reviews, but they're arrogant and it's real hard to rally a crowd and get a group of people to follow you if they perceive you as arrogant, right? Or aloofness or passive aggression or defensiveness or speed talking or rambling and talking over people or hyperformality or stiffness, vocal tremors, vocalized pauses, all of these things stem from one of those five junk thoughts, feeling greater than or less than, us versus them, scarcity, victimhood, or perfectionism. So let's look a little bit closer at these junk thoughts, right? Let's look at inferiority and superiority for a second. Anytime you decide that you are better than someone, your entire body language changes, right? Your chin tilts up. You look down your nose at an audience. It's clear to an audience the minute you've decided that you are better than them. I found that audiences are completely tuned in to energy, even though they may not consciously call it that. They know when you think you're better than them. And it's a dangerous game to play because on some level, it happens to all of us at some point. I mean, I find myself feeling superior when I go into a classroom to teach kids about, you know, I teach an anti-bullying program at our school and I walk in there initially thinking, oh my God, you guys are just children. I'm the one with all the answers. And very quickly it becomes apparent that that is not the case. And I have to check myself, right? I have to check myself because Feeling superior to an audience has a very real cost associated with it. In fact, the cost of feeling superior is that it absolutely impairs your ability to read a situation. Because how good at listening are you if you feel superior to someone? You're terrible, right? In fact, this is why CEOs will sometimes want to work with me is because they know their view of reality is skewed because they look down on other people and people can feel it. And because people feel like they're being looked down on, they feel less than around that CEO. They hold back and they don't tell the truth about what's really going on in the business, right? So feeling superior has a huge cost. And a lot of my clients that suffer with the other end of the spectrum feeling inferior, they think, oh God, you know, I would kill to feel superior in a boardroom, in a meeting, not so fast. My favorite example of the cost of feeling superior is when Barack Obama was debating Mitt Romney in the year he was running for re-election for president, right? And I was so psyched. I love a good debate, especially when you have a debater as strong as Obama was. It was his jam, you know? I mean, the guy, he can handle himself, and I was excited to watch him. So for me, it's like my World Series or my Super Bowl. Like, I... I take the day off. I make sure I have snacks and good wine. I mean, my husband came home. We had our wine. We were ready to rock and watch this debate. And within about two minutes, it was really clear that Obama was off his game and Mitt Romney basically had him for lunch in that debate. (laughs) Mitt Romney was engaging. He was cool. He was warm. He was charismatic. All of the things he had been dinged on during the campaign trail, he just shined in that first debate. 
And I couldn't figure out what the hell happened. In fact, I didn't even watch the rest of the debate. I couldn't bear to watch it. And so after Obama won the re-election, the New York Times issued kind of a debrief, a deep dive. They'd had a reporter embedded in the campaign. And after it was all over, they published this piece that I found fascinating. And apparently what had happened is Obama had failed to prepare at the level he might have. Why? Because he felt superior. He was looking down on Mitt Romney's ability to lead. He felt superior from a position of experience. He felt superior intellectually. He felt superior on pretty much every level. So didn't really rehearse at the level he might have had he really valued his opponent and their abilities. It was a real painful lesson, but it was also a powerful lesson. It happens to the best of us. Underestimating an opponent can bite you in the ass, right? So what do you do? What do you do if you are having an attack of superiority? I believe that the only way to root out junk thoughts is to replace them with powerful thoughts, with thoughts that aim at equality and wholeness. So my favorite thought replacement technique, otherwise known as a mantra, Stuart Smalley used to use these statements, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough. So it got kind of a bad rap, but listen, repeating good mantras in your head is how you rewire these junk thoughts. So let's not dismiss them, people. My favorite thought for rewiring my brain when I'm having a superiority attack is this one. Everyone has something to teach me. That thought immediately returns you to a place of feeling equality, of feeling like you are one and the same as the person across the table from you. And this resets your ability to perceive reality clearly. It's like it cleans out your mental filter. So if you're having a superiority attack, roll with a mantra. Everyone has something to teach me. It's powerful stuff. But what happens if you're at the other end of the spectrum? What happens if you're having an inferiority attack, right? This happens constantly. In fact, I think this is the most, this is the thought I have to work the hardest as a coach to dismantle in people. It's the most common. Feeling less than is an awful feeling. And what does it do to your voice? It makes you timid. It rolls your shoulders forward. Your posture changes, your energy radiates less than, right? It's like beta vibes rolling off you as you walk into a room. And people pick up on that shit, like right away. People know when you walk in the room, people know if you feel inferior. They also know if you feel superior, but they really know if you feel inferior. And what I want you to hear in this part right now is that your feeling of inferiority is a choice, right? A lot of times we want to pretend like inferiority just happens to us. They made me feel inferior. The situation made me feel inferior. I'm inferior because dot, dot, dot. Let me be the one that tells you this. The good news and bad news about inferiority is that it's your choice to feel that way. It's like that line from the song when my kids were in the Peter Pan play in in school. No one can make you feel small unless you agree to feel small. Shout outs to Tiger Lily, girl. Thank you for that very important communication tip. But it's true. We decide to feel inferior. And now people tell me, you know what, Bronwyn? I don't want to hear it. 
When I go into a meeting with these people, they have PhDs or they're data scientists or they are fancy or they have C-level titles. Don't tell me I'm not in fear because I am, because I have none of those things. I am none of those things. Here's what I want you to hear. Never confuse a title with an existential worthiness, right? Here's the thing. You are enough. I don't give two shits how many degrees you have or don't have or how much money you have or don't have or how tall and beautiful you are or not. I don't care. When the firefighters go in to rescue bodies out of a burning building, they don't check business cards and they don't look to see how pretty you are. All lives matter. You matter. I don't care what else you want to say about it. You are existentially enough. So knowing that, knowing that you are enough gives you the power to transcend whatever signals you think are being sent. And listen, sometimes people actively try to make you feel less than. You get to decide whether or not to take the bait. You are enough. And so what mantra do I replace inferiority thoughts with? I am enough and so is everybody else. Now, if you're working to dismantle feelings of inferiority, I really, really highly suggest a concentrated practice dedicated to this. Like, I don't know if you meditate or take time in the morning to journal or you do anything that involves mindfulness. You really should. If you're not, it's kind of game-changing. As your coach, you really need to have some tiny little practice that allows you to reset and build some sort of intention. We are going to get to that in a subsequent podcast, I promise. But right now, let's pretend like you do have a practice. If you are struggling with inferiority, there are patterns to who makes you feel inferior typically. Notice that language I use. They don't make you feel inferior, but who tends to trigger inferiority in you? It might be a boss. It might be a coworker. It might be your spouse on some level. It doesn't matter. What I want you to start doing is working with this mantra quietly. Attach it to your inhale, attach it to your exhale with your breathing. Breathe into it. It might sound like this, I am enough. That's me inhaling. I am enough. That's me exhaling. When you sit with this thought pattern and you allow, I'm going to give you the homework of 10 inhales, 10 exhales with I am enough. You may find in this practice that you feel a lot of different feels. You may start to cry. You may feel rage because you think, where the hell was this all my life? I really could have used this. When you sit with this mantra and you breathe in and breathe out, let those emotions have their way with you. Scream, cry, rant, pound, do whatever you got to do, but feel the feels. In fact, sometimes if I'm really working with something that's triggering for me. I'm trying to remember, oh, I do remember the last time I I used this technique to work through a a junk thought. It was around victimhood. I was feeling some rage and I sat with my mindfulness practice and I breathed in the mantra for victimhood, which we will get to. But I literally had to move my body as I was doing the mantra because there was so much emotion there. There was so much rage built up. And what's crazy is that if you allow yourself to look like a crazy person sitting cross-legged or whatever position you decide to do these inhales and exhales and these mantras with, you look nuts. I mean, truly, I would do it somewhere where nobody can see you. 
But what you find is that it's super duper freaking uncomfortable for like five minutes. And then there's this profound sense of relief. And then beneath the relief is this profound strength. So if you work with this enough mantra, if you struggle with feeling triggered by feelings of inferiority, do it for seven days, just seven. See how you feel. And what you will find is a reserve of power that will blow your mind. And then what happens is when you go into a meeting and you know, crap, this is a board meeting. I always get these inferiority attacks in a board meeting. I can't tell you how much of my time is spent working on this with people that have to present to boards. Boards are like, I feel like boards of directors are like this proxy for life. There's always these archetypal personality traits that just bring out the crazy in everyone. It's hilarious. Anyway, Let's say you've got a meeting with people or you're in a client services environment and you're serving a client who's just loco. Whatever it is that triggers your feelings of inferiority, do that thing for seven days, seven mornings or seven nights, whatever you got, whatever you have time for. And then before you go into the meeting or the situation that's likely to trigger those inferiority attacks, repeat your mantra. And what will happen is that Pavlovian association with the feelings of equanimity and peace and power you cultivate in your mindfulness practice, you'll find that when you repeat that mantra in your mind, you remember those feelings and they surge up if you let them. And you breathe and you remind yourself that you're enough. And you go into that meeting and you slay, right? Because you feel equal. You feel a fundamental sense of equality, It's powerful magic, y'all. So what have we done? In 20 minutes, we've talked about big you. We've talked about little you. We've talked about the patterns of thought that cloud, that drown out the voice of big you. The first thought pattern we've tackled is inferiority and superiority. We've talked about ways to dismantle both. It was just 20 minutes or so, right? No big whoop. What I want you to know about communication is that it's a big deal. We're uncovering huge patterns, but at the end of the day, it can be done in little bursts of effort. So I want you to work with these mantras if they're helpful. I want you to notice when life makes you feel less than or greater than. And I want you to intend to come back to a fundamental sense of equality, enoughness, That's the thought for today, you guys. I got to tell you, this was fun. I hope it was helpful. Please holler and leave comments or ratings. I guess this is really important for new podcasts. Tell people, leave your thoughts on iTunes or wherever you're getting this, and just know that I think you're awesome. Shine on, you crazy diamonds, and I'll see you next time.